Welcome to the Discover Strength Podcast, where we ditch the fads and bring you the latest research on exercise to help you look and feel your best in a fraction of the time. I'm your host, Logan Emmett Herlihy, an exercise physiologist with Discover Strength. Let's get into this week's episode. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Discover Strength Podcast. I'm thrilled today to be joined again by Dr. Stuart Phillips out of McMaster University up in Canada. Uh, we're so excited to have you here today talking about all things protein, supplementation. Are you wasting your money? Are you getting the most bang for your buck? Um, so just say hello real quick, and we'll we'll kind of jump into this episode. Yeah, well, thanks for having me on, on the show again, Logan. Something must have worked last time to, to have me back, so I appreciate being here. Yeah, for sure. And for, for our listeners who maybe haven't had a chance to check out uh, Dr. Phillips' last few episodes, we did a little two-part series on protein. I definitely recommend checking those out. It's season one, episodes 20 and 21. First part was on protein and muscle gain, so super interesting, super important. And then the next one was on using protein uh, to supplement your resistance training. Now, today, we've got Dr. Phillips on to really just talk about supplements more generally, what works, what doesn't what you should and shouldn't be spending your money on. So the first part of this conversation, I really want to focus just on protein specifically. Um, and we'll talk a little bit about protein, uh, plant versus animal, but let's just big picture, talk about protein, what it can do, what it can't do. And are there some, some things in there that make it, let's say uh, golden brick, right? We can throw back to that analogy a little bit that make it more effective than others. So why don't you just kick us off there? Big picture on the importance of protein. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, I, I mean, I think, uh, you know, to sort of give everybody the the cliff notes or Cole's notes, whatever your version is, but the quick version, the thumbnail sketch of, you know, what we talked about last time is that uh, protein as opposed to carbohydrate or fat is a structural substrate. I mean, you're going to make things out of protein that you, you simply don't do with carbohydrate or lipid. Um, 20 different amino acids. You've really got to have nine of them there. The probably most important one for muscle is, is leucine. And then it's got two, I call them uh, cousins, which are isoleucine and valine, which are the three, what we call branch chain amino acids. Uh, the one thing I start out by saying to people is, is that, you know, food, if you're pretty judicious about how you eat it and what you eat and when you eat. Uh, so there's a lot of things to check there, certainly. Uh, and what budget you have, et cetera, can do the job. And I think that that's important for people to realize. So uh, supplements are, you know, and the framework we use in my lab to talk about uh, necessity versus sufficiency. So supplements are definitely sufficient to support muscular growth so they can enhance the growth that happens with resistance training, uh, but they're not necessary. In other words, you, you can do all of this with food, um, normal things that we eat on a day-to-day -day basis, uh, if you plan things well. And I think that that's the sort of crux of uh, where supplements come in is that they're, they're convenient. Um, oftentimes they are not associated with other nutrients that we maybe don't want. So they don't have extra energy if they're uh, protein isolates or concentrates in the forms of carbohydrate or fat. And they also don't have maybe some other things that we're, we're not looking for in our diet 
that we can, you know, maybe dispense with. And so they're, they're convenience for the most part, and they can help people who don't make the most judicious conditions or excuse me, judicious decisions around their dietary protein. But the bottom line is they're, they're definitely not uh, necessary. Yeah, I think that's so important to really under under or overstate really and, and underline in the context here is that we, you know, just as a culture in general, now I'm speaking for Americans specifically, I'm sure it's somewhat similar for Canadians. Maybe you guys Pretty don't much. look at the quick way out <laughs> quite as often, but yeah, uh, you know, you step into a supplement shop anywhere in the US and it just seems like, man, I can sort of easily get my way there. If I just find that right thing to take that yeah. right supplement. Yeah. And if it's a little bit pricier, it's probably a little more effective. Right. And unfortunately that's just not the case. And I, I think you laid out uh, just the nutrition piece so well, because it's something we often take for granted is that you can get everything you need from a supplementation perspective, simply by eating the right foods. Now where the crux comes in is that uh, as you mentioned as well, it's hard sometimes to do that appropriately. So having supplementation there is maybe a secondary or even a tertiary way of um, supplementing. Uh, the rest of your nutrition is going to be super important. So let's talk a little bit about what protein specifically as that amino acid building block can and can't do for you. Um, so what are some things that maybe people think, man, if I just take enough protein, I'm going to look like Arnold Schwarzenegger, or what are some of those other misconceptions that people might have? And what can proper protein supplementation, whether through food or through getting a isolate subs, uh, uh, supplement like that actually do for an individual? Yeah, you know, uh, I think you and I have talked offline about this. And, 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 you know, I don't want to rain on too many people's parades. But I, I'll be honest is that we've done probably at least a dozen different training studies and uh, two now pretty in depth systematic reviews and meta analyses of the literature that's out there on protein supplementation. And I think it is true to say that protein supplements are sufficient. And in some cases, you could probably check the box that they are necessary. Now, the supplement need not necessarily be in the form of a purified protein powder. It could be just simply eating more food. A lot of the studies we've reviewed uh, have used, you know, things like drinking more milk or eating more chicken or beef, uh, more eggs even. And in those situations, then I guess that the real question is, how much does the supplement add to what's out there? And, and so recently, I, you know, hand on heart, I'll say that we, we published what, again, I think is a pretty extensive systematic review, sort of an update of our previous publication, which is in the British Journal of Sports Medicine. And in this review, which is just about to be published, we, we again showed that the effects of protein supplementation are, are pretty small. In other words, you need, you need a lot of people to detect the effect. And so on an individual level, what that really, the takeaway message is that it's probably a pretty thin slice on top of what it is that resistance training is doing already. Now, you, you've got to pick something to put into the machine, quote unquote. So you know, people say, well, if I'm going to overeat, and they always say they overeat uh, something, I'm going to make sure that it's protein. And I'm not saying that you can't. The real question is, what more will it do for you? And I think for the most part, uh, there's very few people out there that will be able to say, oh, when I started supplementing with protein, I felt 
so much better. A lot of people perceive that that's the case, but from a muscular gain perspective, from an increase in strength perspective, uh, the effects are, are pretty small. So you get, and I would, you know, if I'm going to put a number on it, I would say sort of between 80 to 90% of what your workout's going to give you from just going to the gym and making really not a lot of conscious effort to increase the protein intake in your diet. Now, sure, uh, go for it. If you want to squeeze that last part out for a lot of people, that's important. Your, your audience, probably a lot, I'll take the extra, you know, 10, 20%, whatever it is, you should probably realize that it's probably a little bit more when you start training and when you're a novice uh, and a little bit less when you're a little bit more experienced, but uh, it's there uh, for the most part. However, most mere mortals, and I'm definitely in that category. Um, I worry less, uh, particularly as I get a little bit older, um, and I hate to say wiser, uh, about my supplemental protein intake and just try to be pretty planned about what it is that I eat. And, and on that point of getting older, I think, you know, this can, this can always seem when we really start to look at the evidence, um, a little bit disheartening, right? We're all looking for that, that kind of golden ticket that's going to, you know, turn us into a, a superhuman um, genetically, but unfortunately, it doesn't really exist out there. And that's, you know, the more you kind of look at the evidence, the more we realize that, well, you know, you, you want these things, you want to um, maintain the benefits of resistance training of protein supplementation, but you're probably not going to see that magical switch flip all of a sudden. But let's talk about just a little bit the importance of maintaining that protein consumption specifically as we age and why this might be a great reason for people who may be a little disheartened and say, well, I should just give up on protein altogether to know that, hey, it's still really important. So just give us a little yeah. kind of idea on why that might be important. Yeah, you know, uh, the concept and I, we may have talked about this uh, in your last show uh, or, or not, but is is called anabolic resistance. So there's there's something that happens with aging that we think is uh, probably part of, you know, you do a little bit less as you get older. And I know a lot of people say, oh, I don't. And, you know, that's that's cool. You like if you, you know, you're probably doing the same, or if you're like me, I, I'm doing less. My, my workouts are definitely a little bit more, I would call them focused, uh, but they're shorter. Um, and it's not the same weights that I lifted when I was, when I was younger, nowhere near, in fact. Um, you know, so from that perspective, I guess, uh, I'm doing less. So I might expect a little bit less from my workouts from an anabolic, if you like drive perspective. Um, there could be other age related reasons why people aren't quite as responsive or sensitive to the provision of protein that we just haven't discovered yet. And that's definitely, you know, lots of things change with programs of aging in cells that, you know, we just don't have a good handle on. Protein, however, it does appear that older people uh, need a little bit more protein. And, and from that perspective, it's probably no different than what we're saying to you know, pretty high-end athletes. So twice the RDA, so about 1.6 grams uh, per kilo per day. Uh, if you work it out on a, on a per pound basis, it's, it's probably about 0.7 grams per pound. Um, and that's going to, we think anyway, uh, and again, this is based on observational evidence. We don't have the studies to, to say this. So cause and effect always in question. Uh, appears to slow or mitigate some of the declines people experience in muscle mass and muscle function as they age. 
Now, I think if you're resistance training and keeping yourself in shape, um, you can probably expect for that transition to these increased requirements to be a little bit later in your life um, because exercise is, you know, I've said a lot of times before, it's the forgiver of a lot of sins and definitely uh, getting it in shape and in order is uh, going to probably do a lot more for you than increasing your protein intake. But it, it is there as a recommendation. I'd stand by that as a piece of sound nutritional advice as people get a little bit older to try and maintain their protein intake in, uh, in that sort of range for sure. Yeah. And for our listeners who are interested in maybe diving into a little more detail on the importance of protein and activity as we age, I would highly recommend listening to our episode uh, with Dr. Sarah Oikawa, who's actually one of uh, Stu's students who has grown and become a, a great researcher in her own right as well. So super interesting there. Definitely something to check out if you're more interested in how protein and activity become important as we age. Um, so let's just quickly recap here before we kind of get into this animal plant sort of debate is what are some things that protein can't do? Well, it, it can't change your genetic predisposition. Unfortunately, it can't make you superhuman and it can't compensate for lack of doing the right things like resistance training or other forms of, of uh, proper exercise. But what it can do is it can help increase uh, MPS, muscle protein synthesis, uh, with proper amounts of leucine, help you gain a little muscle or keep the muscle you have. Um, some studies show that it helps keep you satiated, right? So if you're on a calorically restricted diet, it can help you maybe eat fewer calories so you can lose some weight over time. And then again, just keeping that muscle you have, hopefully, over the long term. So super important points there. Are you experiencing low back pain that continues to persist even though you've tried everything? Research indicates the root cause of most back pain is due to deconditioning or lack of strength in the low back musculature. Unlike chiropractic, massage, and other passive therapies that treat the symptoms of low back pain, Medic's Medical Low Back Therapy by Discover Strength is an active therapy, which means it treats the pain at its source. With just two sessions a week for five weeks, the Medic's Medical Low Back Therapy will help you decrease pain levels, increase flexibility and mobility, and improve quality of life and independence. Schedule your free introductory session at our Chanhassen location today. Let's just look because, man, it seems like every day I see a new vegan doctor or I hear some kind of, you know, I saw something you posted a few weeks ago, maybe it was a month ago with cricket protein, which I'd be interested in talking to you a little bit about, yeah. but there seems to be all these alternatives um, from a health perspective, from a diet perspective, whether it's going completely vegan, whether it's going on the other end of the spectrum and going totally carnivore. Um, let's just talk a little bit about this sort of plant animal debate just specifically around protein and its availability and what that might mean if you're considering maybe adding some pea protein, maybe adding some cricket protein. Why don't you give us a big idea of what these sort of things kind of mean face-to-face? -face? Yeah, sure. I mean, the, the fundamental, uh, I think, you know, axiom in this whole argument, if you like, is that, and this is biology, it's not, you know, up for debate. This is just the way things are is that uh, animal-derived proteins, so if we take dairy as the sort of you know, king of the hill, so to speak, um, are better quality proteins. They contain 
more of the essential amino acids and they are uh, more easily digestible. Uh, in other words, you, if you put a, you know, 50 grams of, d- of dairy protein in your mouth, you can expect for, you know, 48 grams, if that's the right way to say it, or 49 grams to be digested and appear in your, in your circulation as amino acids. Uh, if you took the same amount of a, of a plant-based protein, uh, it has less of the essential amino acids, so you're not going to get the same rise. Um, and in the food form, so if we compare drinking milk or um, eating Greek yogurt uh, and the same from some type of plant source, uh, plants have dietary fiber in there. It's a, it's a fundamentally, quote unquote, anti-nutritional substance that you can't uh, metabolize it or do anything. And it actually lowers the digestibility of uh, proteins that are there. There are other compounds. Um, that can inhibit uh, enzymes that break down protein that just make plant-based proteins a little bit less digestible. Um, If you'd asked me 10 years ago, I would have said, that's a big deal. Five years ago, I'd have been like, I don't know. Um, I think now I'm beginning to think it's it's not a big deal uh, until you get into people who are older and people who are on um, vegan, vegetarian diets who just need to be a little bit more conscientious about how they ingest their protein, when they ingest their protein, that they're co-ingesting sources of plant-based proteins, if that's the diet that they're on. So the, the, the whole complementation, legumes and grains, um, you know, co-temporally, they're, they're eating them together. Uh, and in those situations, I begin to think that the digestibility issue is, is less uh, important. Uh, cricket protein, uh, sent to me. So it was, I was sort of thinking, oh, geez, you know, what's this going to be like? Uh, and it was surprisingly good. Uh, it was a, they're a Mexican based company. Uh, they've clearly got the art of, uh, cacao chocolate down to a, you know, a fine science. Uh, they, they were the originators of, of, of chocolate and, uh, and it, it, it was, it was pretty tasty. Actually, it was sort of a cinnamon, dark chocolate cinnamon blend, and it was pretty good. Uh, you know, if you can get beyond that, you know, that it's crushed crickets, then it's, it's really not that big a deal. Uh, we're going to have nine and a half billion people on this planet in a few, uh, decades and feeding them, uh, is going to be tough, uh, with the current resources that we have. So we're going to have to look to quote unquote, alternative protein sources. Uh, in other words, non-animal based so plant-based, insect-based, and, and a few other sort of innovative ways of trying to feed people. So um, I, I said yes when they asked if I would try it. And uh, I was actually impressed with the taste profile. It was, was, was good. So these plant-based proteins are getting better because they haven't always, I don't think, tasted the greatest. So. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, it's uh, just super important, I think, the points you noted there because I think the biggest thing to consider when you're doing a vegetarian or, or vegan diet is, is just that it might take a little more consideration. And that's kind of the the point I was hoping that you would bring up and you, you did it perfectly. There is just the idea that you can survive, you can thrive on a plant-based diet. And, and for some people, that's the right choice. Um, but it does take a little more consideration to make sure you're getting not just the protein requirements that you need, but some of the other, um, you know, valuable nutrients as well. And I, I think the, the cricket thing is maybe an interesting alternative, you know, we'll see if, if, uh, you know, do crickets count as not 
as as vegan okay? I, I, just, yeah, I don't that's, understand. <laughs> that's an interesting question. Somebody asked yeah. me that. They said, you know, because the you know my Spanish is is poor enough, but I could see the the things they were writing on the label, and they said, you know, vegan friendly, and I was like. Is that, you know, I, I yeah, wasn't it sure. Seems, so, it seems more of a uh, philosophical issue. Yeah, <laughs> you know, we're, we're, you know, I, I, I don't want to say, but I, I, you know, I think the, the important point too is to, to emphasize that these isolated plant protein powders, so the pea, uh, soy, you know, been around forever, um, but others that are out there are, are, are actually, so now you've taken the anti-nutritional component out. It's not part of the equation. And then it really comes down to the essential amino acid profile. So some of these sources are still going to be, if you like, if, if, if uh, handicapped is the right word compared to say uh, milk proteins, but the differences become much, much smaller. In other words, you have no issue with digestibility. Isolated plant-based proteins are as digestible as uh, animal-based proteins because the, uh, the fiber and everything else has been removed from the equation. Yeah. And that was, that was going to kind of be my last question there in point. So as far as, as far as no, 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 it's okay. As far as recommendations that you mentioned pea and soy there, are those sort of the the top tier when it comes to vegetarian options for, for isolated protein consumption? Uh, Like soy is, uh, it's really so close to milk in terms of its essential amino acid profile, not quite as good. Um, that, you know, I'd always mentioned soy out there. A lot of people are concerned with phytoestrogen content, but that's, I'm, I'm not one of them. I think that that's a completely moot point, an argument to not consume soy. Uh, if you're concerned about it, uh, I think pea protein is a good alternative and good choice. Rice protein takes a, a little bit of a hit. It's not quite as good a quality protein. Um, my only note on, on pea protein, again, as somebody who gets to, you know, taste a lot of these things is that there's a really persistent um, legumey taste with, with a lot of pea proteins. You simply can't remove that sort of beany, you know, legumey <laughs> taste profile. No, again, getting much better. And I think, uh, you know, the people that devise these flavors are uh, moving to the stage where if you blinded people and you didn't know that it was, you probably would uh, get it right or wrong um, almost 50-50 now. But there's always a little, uh, a little note um, at the end. But we're, we're, we're definitely moving into a space where I think the taste profile is becoming less and less, from my perspective anyway, distinguishable. That's awesome. And and just a great option as well for people who are considering maybe for health perspective, maybe it's, you know, a philosophical perspective, but yep. maybe they'll eat some crickets. We'll find out. Um, but no, I, I really appreciate just kind of covering this whole idea because this protein thing can, can really be convoluted. Um, so I'd love to just recap here quick before I let you go, Dr. Phillips, uh, 0.7 grams per pound of body weight. We've seen as, as high as 0.7 to 1.2 seems to be a good recommendation, making sure we're focusing on those essential amino acids, specifically leucine seems to be the big one. Um, and then just realizing what protein can and can't do for you. So if you have a well-balanced, um, you know, wide ranging diet of plants and animals, you're probably going to get close to your recommendations, what you need. Now, if you're a little stressed, if your life's all over the place, you got some kids, maybe 
maybe every once in a while you're going to McDonald's too many times a week, whatever it might be, maybe some supplementation, um, some other uh, things that you might need to add into your diet just to make sure it's a little more well-rounded. Um, any other final thoughts here on the protein sort of debate before I let you go? I uh, know. I, I mean, I, I think your summaries uh, all along have been, uh, you know, right on point. Uh, you know, some of the, uh, if you like, some of the arguments or the disagreements in the area, I'll, I'll fully admit, have uh, probably been of our own creation. You know, our own work early on supported, uh, you know, to a very large degree, uh, animal-based whey, et cetera, uh, supplements as being superior uh, from a muscle protein synthetic standpoint. What we haven't found is that these then have translated into meaningful outcomes in terms of strength and muscle mass and everything. So the, the, the effect that we're seeing acutely gets uh, diluted. Not that muscle protein synthesis is unuseful. Um, it's just that it's, uh, it tends to emphasize differences as opposed to the reality of what happens in quote unquote real life. So, you know, uh, I'm, I'm a scientist. Uh, it's hard for me to admit that we, I don't think we got it wrong, but we, may, we maybe did, we maybe overstated the, uh, the importance of, of protein quality and lots of other things. So, I'm beginning to mellow my stance on, on that. Yeah. And that, that just seems to be a good science practice in general. I'm, I'm currently in grad school right now. And my, my uh, thesis advisor always says, you know, uh, my hope after you get out of grad school is that you have way more questions than you have answers. So, uh, you know, if you're, if you're too confident, I don't necessarily trust you as a researcher and, and certain things going on. So just a great reminder here as well. Um, thank you so much for joining us today, Dr. Phillips. Uh, for those of you who are listening, who may be attending the resistance exercise conference this year, Dr. Phillips will also be one of our keynote speakers. We're so excited to have him. If you haven't signed up already, please do that. And we will see you all again soon.